Welcome to the Walla Way, everybody. This is Imran Nanlawala, and I'm excited to have an amazing guest on for you today, Ghulam Kehar. He is the former co-founder and CEO of Amana Refugee Services and is currently the Senior Director of Operations and Donor Engagement at LaunchGood. Ghulam, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. So I'm really excited to have you on today because I've heard uh, a lot about you through our mutual contacts. And I think we're probably of similar age and your, um, your trajectory has been pretty impressive. So you're, I would say, pretty active in the nonprofit sector and you've been doing you know, pretty amazing and big things in terms of being able to start nonprofits, grow them, scale them, and then moving on to other projects. So I want to talk to you about your, one of your first babies, uh, Amana Refugee Services. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when, roughly when did you start Amana? Or how did, how did you get the idea to start Amana? That's a better question. So uh, it was, yeah, 2000s. I don't even remember anymore, 2007. <laughs> okay. Uh, I moved to Houston actually in 2006. And uh, how the idea came about was in uh right i lived on campus so i wasn't from houston and and it wasn't houston's a commuter school no one really like lives there now they might but at the time they didn't so i had some time and uh there was a a, a course on like zakat uh and uh you real know, quick because uh what is the meaning of zakat zakat is uh, it's you know the muslims uh you know have to give a certain amount of charity every year so uh it, there was a course around True. that you know the rulings and all that type of stuff so I took that and, you know, it just gave me an idea. I was like, you know, uh, it'd be really cool to connect with how we give. Mm. And mind you, at this point, I have like, I'm like your complete average or less than average teenager. Never volunteered for anything in my life. I had no idea what nonprofits are, social services. But at this class, I was like, you know, huh, it's, it's a pretty cool concept, like uh, being connected with how you give, not just, you know, making it a financial transaction. So I, I told some, a few of my you know, uh, friends the idea and they're, you know, they're like, yeah, that's pretty cool, let's do something. So what we did is we, uh, we tried to find a family who we could go help. Mm-hmm. So we asked around and no, was like, no one knew. So you know, just because we live in a certain social class that we didn't know anyone in need. But one of my friends eventually found a family in need and gave us the address and said, hey, this family is in need. Why don't you go deliver some groceries? So we raised some money, a few hundred dollars, bought some groceries and went to their house. That's when something clicked. So that family turned out to be a recent, mm. uh, recently resettled refugee family from Somalia. Mm. It was 10 people in a three bedroom apartment. Like it. It, the whole apartment complex was full of refugees and it's it felt like we came into a different country altogether wow. and that just sparked something in in me and a few others like like where did these people come from what are they doing here like what's going to happen to them they, they didn't speak the language they just came here like from war torn countries so that was the trigger to Amana naturally we were like hey we can't let this family just be hmm. so we kept coming back every few weeks helping them and it snowballed from there. So none of this was intentional or planned. It was, uh, you know, it was all accidental in the sense of, you know, how the story of Amana got started. I mean, so w- one thing I would ask you off the bat is like some people would see an impetus to even starting, right? They would say, you know, maybe there are other organizations that can do what we're intending to do. So why don't we just push them off onto some of these other organizations? Yeah. So in, in that regard, why did you even 
Why did you think that you could bring something to the table that was unique and different? You know, I, I honestly don't know. We just knew that they needed help mm. and we have some capability of helping them. Uh, at the time, you know, Houston's a very large city for resettlement. There are five refugee resettlement agencies and uh, they have a very robust system, but they're also federally funded. So they're very limited in what they do. And but mind you, we didn't know this at the time, uh, but we were just like, hey, they need help now and we can do something. Let's do it. So it was very unplanned and just, you know, very, uh, you know, and mind you, we were teenagers at the time. And uh, so there was no thinking. It was just like, let's help. That's all. So, OK, you guys had good intentions. You wanted to help. Talk about some of the early. I wouldn't say struggles. What were some of the things you had to acclimate to early on in terms of like organizational development? Like maybe not knowing certain laws, maybe not knowing how to set up your bank accounts. Like what were some of the early day challenges? Interesting. So we didn't incorporate mm. until 2008. Mm. We didn't become a nonprofit until 2008, almost two years after we were doing this. We were managing a large amount of money because our family and friends were giving us money. Word was getting around that there's this group of people doing something. Um, in 2000 and yeah, late 2009, uh, I was about to graduate. A few other, you know, of the founders and pioneers we were moving on, and we realized that look, we started something good. You know, let's not have it die when we move on, because we had no intention of like you know right. carrying this on as an organization. So we said, okay, let's incorporate it, make it a nonprofit, which we did. Uh, and when we did, we didn't know, you know, we can't be collecting donations. Uh, you can't be doing all this stuff. We were just literally doing it out of a personal bank account. So we were very, very naive in that sense. But we got incorporated. Uh, and from there, you know, we, di we didn't pay much attention to the organizational development, even at that point, uh, about infrastructure, people, you know, the whole, the whole deal. But we were just focused on how do we raise money and how do we help them? That's mm. usually the story of most nonprofits. Right. But... Uh, it really didn't get until 2010 till we like hired our first employee. I officially joined Amana as an employee almost five years after it founded. Uh, it was founded. So uh, that 2011-12 is when we got an office. We started, you know, having, uh, you know, got an accountant, all, all that type of stuff. So it was a very slow process for us because right. none of us, especially me, I didn't have any background and especially any like any sort of work experience, any management experience. I have a lot of stories about like I, I, I would I would not have wanted to work with me back then. So <laughs> well, give give us an example. You know, uh, there's so many, but uh. like I didn't. Number one, I didn't know like like leadership was a thing. Mm. I just knew you know like the t the average person that hey, you're in a leadership position, you're a leader. Uh, so I was I did not care much about what other people were like feeling, doing, thinking. It was like, look, this is what we need to do. You're either with me or not. Mm. And it was a very much like a hardline approach. Uh, it had its place because, you know, a lot, we pushed it forward. But naturally, you can imagine it turned a lot of people away uh, who were not used to me or close friends. Uh, but, you know, it was just a lot of examples. You know, a, a, a lot of the, some of the early pioneers, you know, we got into some conflict. Mm. Some people ended up leaving. But like, I, it, and I reflect now, it was really like, I wasn't consciously worried or caring about the people around me i was just like hey you need to sacrifice yourself for the mission mm. if you don't get out of the way which uh, obviously is not the right way to do it so uh 
later on, uh, I started kind of consciously learning. It, it seems like it was part of your growth, so it's something that you would have to go through. But I, I also see the benefits in the sense that a new project, yeah. lean, yeah. Uh, you have to be like laser focused. Yep. And it might have even helped it establish strongly yeah. and then giving you the opportunity to grow, you, you know, yourself afterwards. Yeah. And, and an interesting point on that is, of course, of course, it, it helped my development. But one thing I was uh, uh, like, you know, we were grinding at the time, right? Mm. And especially me when I uh, when I when I became an employee mm. it was still, you know, like two of us on the payroll that, you know, we were doing everything. I was out there raising money, programs, you know, uh, everything you could imagine. And I had an expectation that everyone has to do as much as I'm doing. Mm. Like that was my expectation, which is such a huge leadership fallacy that, mm. you know, you have to be at my level in order to be part of this team. Um, you know, so that obviously, you know, was not <laughs> the right way to do it. But but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I learned a lot. And I remember there were certain points where I, I, I kind of got a wake up call and said, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just doing what I thought I knew, but there wasn't really any thought behind it. And then I started consciously learning. <laughs> so that, so let's focus on that because uh, you said, now we talked a little bit about team growth, team development, your own personal growth. So you start, you were the first employee. And then I think by the time you left, there were 50 employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, I was a second employee. We had second. one part-time uh, before that. And when I left, we, yeah, we had, a, we had a, one of our programs was in school. So we had a lot of teaching assistants that were part-time. They made up a team of 40 plus actually across Houston and Austin. And then we had a full-time staff of close to 15. So it was a pretty big team, yeah. So talk about then as you got past these initial phases where you, know, you were also discovering your own leadership style, how did you work on developing, okay, how did you work on recruiting the right people? Uh -huh. And then once you had them on the team, how did you develop them? Sure. So th that's one of my, you know, uh, I guess pain points that I, I reflect on that I, I unfortunately learned it very late mm. um, in in 2000 maybe 15 almost you know eight years in um, I remember you know uh, there were a few people employees that had left and and I realized like I wasn't I was expecting like I said everyone to sacrifice themselves for the mission mm. because I'm doing that you have to do that which mm. was completely wrong so my my paradigm shifted when I when I started getting some mentors who were like look you know, people that actually took the time, pulled me aside and said, look, you started something good, but you're not going to go anywhere unless you, you know, break out of this mold, you learn and you grow. So I started getting mentors and I was blessed to have, you know, a lot of mentors that are mutual friends and some outside the you know, Muslim community and uh, in the nonprofit world. And then I realized, like, look, my job as, you know, in this phase of the organization is to, to care for the team, mm. is to take care of them so they can deliver what is expected. Because they're passionate people, you know, at the time, you know, in the nonprofit world already, uh, you know, you're not paid much or you're below average and, you know, you're expected to do more than you would in the corporate. So I was like, I, my paradigm shifted. I was like, my job is to help them succeed. Hmm. So, you know, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, even at the time, like it's, it's not even about the mission. It's about these people. Like I need to build them. So how we recruited was initially through our networks uh, of people and, you know, extended uh, you know, friend networks and professional circles. And then we started doing a little wider and then I started getting more picky and selective about who we got in. And then uh, when I left, I, I personally felt, you know, that we had a pretty good, you know, um, 
you know, a pretty good group of, you know, potential leaders and leaders. And some people that, you know, I left are still in touch with me and, and they've moved on as well. But, you know, uh, it, it was learning. So I, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best of my records in terms right. of recruiting, but towards the end, I was like, getting a little better. So it's very interesting because in the beginning you talk about um, your leadership style and maybe you're a little too blunt or too direct and everyone should give the same amount of energy. Yeah. But now let's talk about when you let your baby go. So this trust that is needed to start something, yeah. take it to a certain pinnacle and then be able to transfer the power, transfer yeah. the leadership to someone else. So talk to us about that process sure. and even what was going on in your mind at the time. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I realize now that it, the, the seed was planted like a couple of years ago. There were, mm. there were certain times where, you know, where you have internal conflict, whether it's the board, whether it's right. the staff. We had a few of those, no major issue. Every time I was like, look, okay, it's done, keep going. And, you know, we overcame a few big ones. Um, then then I, I it, it hit me when um, I think it was a year year before I left and we were getting ready for our, our big we had a big annual benefit dinner in the month of Ramadan you know with thousand plus people raised a lot of money you know raising the most money of any nonprofit in Houston uh, any refugee nonprofit mm. so uh, I was I was preparing my speech for that and, you know, we were celebrating our nine years or 10th years was coming up. So I, I was sitting writing the speech for the ninth. And I was like, I wonder what I'm going to say at the 10th. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what I'm going to say at the 10th. And, you know, I was reflecting on how long I've been here, uh, what I'm doing. And over the next few months, I don't know, things start like I felt like I was losing a fire. Mm. Like that drive I had because I was like on go, go, go. And I, mm. I had got married. I had kids. Uh, you know, even my wife, I met through Romana, actually, wow. who's a volunteer. Awesome. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, uh, we, we were running into some financial challenges, not necessarily that, you know, any mismanagement or anything, but like, I, was, I wasn't like paying attention to that area, even though I had a finance director, like we weren't able to break, get like to a level of financial sustainability to grow. Mm. And, uh, and there were small things like that popping up and then it hit me. I distinctly remember I was looking at you were budgeting for the following year. And I was like, look, I haven't been able to break out of certain cycles of financial and whether it's people, you know, with other areas of the organization. And it hit me. I was like, I felt in that moment, like I realized how naive I was, like how much I don't know. Mm. I was like, I'm very comfortable living in my Amana bubble. You know, I, I'm at the head of the organization. I'm the founder. Very few people will even challenge me. I'm very comfortable like I'm not like what potential am I wasting sitting here being comfortable mm. so and then I, I was like you know I, I need I, I need to move on and it wasn't even that hey Amana's ready or you know uh, hey I'm just gonna pass it on it's like okay it was like almost forget Amana mm. like I just gave it 10 years alhamdulillah you know, you know thank god it was great it was wonderful but I just realized how much I don't know mm. I'm not gonna learn that here and uh, then I, I, t I talked to my, my board chair, who was, a, who was a very good mentor and friend. I was like, look, I think I'm done. Mm. He's like, why was something happened? You this, you that. I was like, no, I just, like, I just, I feel like the world out, like, I need to learn. Like, I'm not going to learn that here. And uh, a few, you know, a lot of them agreed and said, you know, it'd be good for you. So uh, I, I really didn't even get involved in the transition. Uh, I told wow. the board, I was like, look, you know, uh, and they were surprised. I was like, look, I think this is when I'm going to transition out, let me know how you want to handle it. So I didn't, uh, and, and a side point, you know, 
being from the Muslim community, a lot of uh, a lot of organizations uh, are horrible are horrible at succession planning. Right. We still see that. Mm. You'll see people there 20, 30, 40 years still in leadership position. Yep. Mm. You know, that that really irked me. And one of the reasons for also leaving, I was like, I don't want to be here in 20 years wow. still leading this because that's a sign that I've passed my time to succeed, succession. Wow. And I'm going to like, if I'm here in 10 years, I failed myself mm. because, uh, you know, I, I was seeing people that, and, and that doesn't mean it's bad, right? Like you're there 20 years, but if your organization's like, you know, unless it's like Amazon or something growing like that, you know, you can justify it. But that scared me. I was like, I don't want to be that guy mm. sitting here in 20 years saying I'm the founder, expecting everyone to do. So I, anyway, you know, um, and I was like, look, I'm, I'm moving on. And, uh, you know, I, I, Amana's good. It's great. It's been my life. But I really didn't like worry about what's going to happen. And one of my mentors told me that, look, as part of this decision, you have to realize that if you're going to walk away, you have to be comfortable whatever happens to Amana after this, mm-hmm. whether it goes up, down, like you can't just sit and reflect about it. And uh, once I get, came at peace with that, that was, look, this chapter of mine with Amana was wonderful. But after this, my time with Amana is over. I'm not going to mm-hmm. like be involved, you know, all that type of stuff. So after I left in March of 2018, I was on the board for one year. And then after that, zero, no contact, no involvement. So it's, uh, yeah. So, so how are they doing now? Just briefly, like. They're doing well. I think, you know, mm-hmm. the, eventually you hired a new CEO. Uh, uh, they're kind of bringing the own touch to the organization, made some changes. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm wishing it nothing but the best, but they're, you know, they're doing, they're much more financially stable. Uh, uh, they got new board members. So I, I think it's moving in the right direction. Uh, it's more sustainable. Mm. But I, I don't, like, I, I, I forget sometimes, like, you know, that, I, I was part of it because, you know, and it not because anything wrong with it, just for my own being that I was like, look, uh, and one of the just reflections I had when I was leaving is that, look, I, I'm still relatively young, you know, and I, I've got experience that most people will never have, like, you know, 11 years building an organization. Uh, this is like Amana, inshallah, like God willing, will not be the best thing I do. So I'm not going to look at the past. I'm looking ahead. So uh, I'm not too much even like, you know, in touch with Amana or even following it now. Mm. Obviously, I follow it from a distance, you know, it's in the heart, but <laughs> I pray, I pray, mm. I make, you know, mm. I, I pray that they're doing well. But yeah, I'm just like completely, I need to revisit the memories and they're good ones. <laughs> so you need to have some self-reflection time about it. Okay. I do, I do. So what's, okay, I want I have some success. Uh, I have some follow-up questions regarding now your transition out and, and sure. new pastors. Yeah. But before I do, I want to focus in on a point uh, specifically like when younger people listen to this podcast, I want them to understand something. And that's, you started this organization, you helped start this organization and there was no financial incentive. There was no po- like power play. It was, we found a need. We wanted to fill the need. We didn't even know about bank accounts. We didn't know about <laughs> legality issues and whatnot. But you guys found a purpose and you filled it and you started it and it grew, right? Yeah. Talk about now that initial phase. Okay, it's done. You struggle, you open it. But like focusing on how like after so many years from going from nothing to something, how doors open up and now you're like a player on the scene, meaning the organization. And this opens up doors, which is important because now when you do have like this grandiose vision or you want to do something really huge, you have people in your network that you can talk to, you have donors that you can talk to, you have organizations you can talk to. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. I I, I think the one thing I would say is a couple of things. Number one, you know, 
momentum is built by taking action, mm. not by writing emails, not by planning, not by making you know uh, phone calls from your from your desk. Uh, those have their place. Don't get me wrong, but actual momentum, getting people excited, you know, you need to see and feel stuff. Mm. So uh, it, at the start, it's a little bit of like you know ready, fire, aim, <laughs> mm. uh, that you just need to do things to get the momentum. But once you, once you do stuff consistently and with quality, you know, people start getting used to you being a player in that space. Uh, you know, people saw our passion. They saw the consistency that we weren't like some, you know, we're passionate for, for a few months and then the, the cause goes away. When we were in refugee services, this was way before the Syrian crisis. Mm. No one even in Houston, the largest resettlement city, people didn't know there were refugees there. Wow. So we, we, we made the refugee cause known because many people didn't know it. Mm. So like we had a passion for it, not because there was interest, not because you know, it would give us more money, because we genuinely cared. And that goes to intention as well, right? So mm. uh, that along with doing it, consistency over time is, is a huge, huge factor. Mm. When people see you going again and again and again, getting better, 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 like you said, it opens doors. Mm. You know, if you do, you know, one year, two years, three years, four years, people get used to it. And then, mm. you know, bigger players come in, they bring in more networks, you know, the, the network grows. And, you know, you get into places that in year one, you wouldn't have even thought of. Like if you went to them and asked them for money, they'd be like, who are you? But the same people you go in year five, they see your track record, they see your network. It definitely plays a role. So the point I would, you know, to, to pass on to the young leaders is, you know, momentum builds, uh, taking action builds momentum, doing stuff, you know, meeting people, actually building and doing something tangible and doing it with consistency and quality is your proof to, to society. Because there are a lot of people that get excited for one year. Look at all the organizations and that come up and the groups that come up. You know, my, my, that's my, my measure. I say, okay, I want to see if they're around in three years. Wow. Then I'll support them. Because mm. that really, if you can stand the test of time, uh, you, you've done a lot. Okay, so now great, great explanation. And I hope the you know, young generation can understand that. Just like you said, take action. Yeah. And the momentum will build. So now you've transitioned out. Um, and obviously this organization is in a better place. But you have this own itch that you need to scratch. You have this inclination to like develop yourself. Yeah. So you don't have to go into like specifics in terms of like necessary organization names and, and, sure. and whatnot. But what were some of the things after transitioning out you were able to learn just from working with other organizations sure. and developing yourself? Sure. So um, um, I'm trying to see how I can do it without names. Yeah. It, of course. So and, and there's nothing bad. Sure. Yeah, I, yeah. It's only. It's you up know, to you. Only, yeah. 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 So uh, I moved on to one organization that was actually a grantee to Amana. Okay. You know, it was a very large organization, like national, global. So I went from this tiny startup, one city focused to, to not only national, but global. Mm. Uh, very large nonprofit. And uh, it, it, was, it's a, it was a great experience. So one thing that my career trajectory that is still true to today, every position I've ever been in, I'm always the first person in that position. I've mm. never taken anyone's role mm. or any taken anyone's title. Mm. So I'm always coming into this newness, which, which I love. So uh, when I joined this large organization, I, I took on a new project uh, that was very new and different to the organization. So uh, I moved cities, so I moved from, from Houston. And when I left the Mana, I left Houston. Okay. Uh, so I was, you know, you know, thank God I was very well known. I had a lot of network and friends and then 
uh, I just left the city altogether to get away from everything because it'd be very hard. Right. My wife still jokes with me like I couldn't go out anywhere without running to someone I know. Mm. You know, because you, um, you know, you you have to network and fundraise and eleven years of doing that in the city. You know, you were bound to run into someone. Mm. You know, so uh, I moved to a different state and it it was unique because I learned. Uh, the bureaucracy of a large organization, but also the advantages, you know, it has the advantage of, you know, you have infrastructure, you have stability, you have reach, you don't have to, you know, you know, uh, uh, depending on the position you're in, you know, do as much, if you, what you would say, administrative, you can focus on more valuable things. Uh, it was a great experience. And, mm. and I also learned to, 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 to work with people that, you know, or that are higher than, you know, in, in organizational leadership positions that, I don't necessarily agree with or I even don't like, right. mm -hmm. uh, but it was a growing experience that, you know, you can't, you're, how do you work in an environment that you don't control, Right. you know, uh, whether it's good or bad. So it, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I loved uh, working there. I was there for almost two and a half years um, and I switched roles in between from doing this new project to taking on a national role. I got to build a team. I got to hire. And, and that's one of the good things I learned, you know, going through a hiring process of a large organization, how to attract people to a large one versus a smaller one. You have to sell different things. Mm. Um, so I, I really felt like I matured over there. Like uh, as a leader, this is where I got to kind of flex or exercise some of the stuff that I learned at Amana. And it was great. Like I left on a very high note. I, you know, I had a great team, wonderful people, still in touch with most of them. Uh, so it, it was great from that sense. I, I learned, I learned how to operate on a larger scale, and now uh, even though I had experience on a smaller, so now I had this experience, I had that experience, and then from there I the, I moved on because I felt uh, that you know that type of size of organization is not necessarily for me, right? Uh, or at mm -hmm. that particular moment, mm -hmm. I enjoyed building and working in the projects because I'm I'm. You know, I consider myself more entrepreneurial. My right. idea guy, I like moving fast. Uh, it has its pros and cons, no sure. doubt. And you know, it, just because I wasn't able to do that, I just felt like you know, one of one of my weaknesses that I can't just you know suck it up and you know just do it, even though you don't like it. Agree. I, I can do it for a while, yeah, yeah. but you know, it, it affects my uh, you know affects me and my. I get it, yeah. So uh, I was like, well, let me go find an organization where I can actually be like in more uh, a position of influence but also take the skills i've learned and actually bring value to them mm. so i went to a much smaller organization uh actually it was mid-size it was between amana and this large one sure so it was a mid-size one and uh i got to work over there for a little bit and uh I, it was very clear that even though the organization was wonderful uh great work i wasn't a fit mm. and uh I, you know, at that point, I'd been in the nonprofit sector for almost 15 years. And I, I always had this, uh, this understanding that, you know, nonprofits don't take much risk. Mm. They're not entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, they're not really looking to innovate. And, and, you know, it's just how the system is built. And uh, I got to do that a little bit of Amana and actually, you know, it worked out pretty well. So I, I want to go somewhere that I can still have, so, you know, m contribute value to society, but also, you know, uh, you know, start learning about building a company, you know, in, in technology. And, and, and so I, I joined this uh, 
I just recently joined a platform called LaunchGood. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's an organizational, uh, sorry, it's it's a social, it's a fundraising, crowdfundraising platform that uh, was started by you know someone six seven years ago. It's it's that company, and but they're so you know their values align with what I do, but their customers are also a lot of the nonprofits, a lot of the right. donors. So not only do I get to learn, but also my skill sets are very much needed over mm. there. So. That's where I am, but I'm still very much, you know, in my in my journey uh, of, of of learning and growing. I still feel like, like you know, a- Amazon has this saying, right? Or Jeff Bezos said, "Day one." Like I, I literally feel like I'm like I'm starting now. Mm. Like a- everything I've done, you know, it's contributed to my growth, but I'm not resting on my laurels, right? It, you know, it's not about what you did yesterday; it's what about you're doing today. Wow. And uh, that's one challenge I felt, you know, again, this is my opinion, especially in the Muslim community on the on the on the local communities and organizations. It's like, look at what we've done. It's always about the past. Like you should listen to me and respect me because of what I've done over this you know, X amount of years and who I am today, which has its place. But, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, more than someone in a certain field or your opinion is always right. It, you know, age and experience is always uh, given a higher, uh, higher sure. value than than what is right and what could work. Mm. So anyway, that's you know that's that's where I'm today. So then, I w- just real quick, I, you know, I, I you brought up entrepreneurship a few times, which is very interesting because usually people would say that an entrepreneur can never be an employee, right? Yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, very interesting that you brought up launch good because I I do see that as a good marriage in terms of. You may technically be considered an employee, but yeah. I know they probably prefer to have people with the entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. So quickly talk about this uh, this intersection of nonprofits and why entrepreneurship is very very much needed in in, in nonprofits. That's that's a great question. Mm. Uh, so very early on, I learned that nonprofits, you know, like I said, they 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 don't take risk, and it's because it's because of the donors. You know, you you're always worried about. You know what your reputation because in nonprofit sector it's all you have no reputation you're nothing you're gonna close um, so they're always worried about what the donor will think like if this fails mm. there's no appetite or room for failure mm. you cannot have innovation and entrepreneurship without being able to fail uh, I was able to do it a little bit at mana because you know it was kind of under my influence a little more than it would be uh, and I also realized through you know just in the industry learning and going to meeting people in conferences that the you know the world's problems that the nonprofit sectors are 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 set up to solve, they're all set up to patch the problem, mm. right? And I know more about the refugee work, right? So uh, a lot of the refugee work is is federally funded, right? Mm. So that you can't really control the funding, you have to do and and to get the funding, you have to do what what the requirements are, not what you think is needed. Mm. So uh, everything is usually set up to what will get the most money, mm. right? And not what will work. So I realized that, you know, you need to have control over money without strings attached in a sense. So when you're an entrepreneur, when you're, you know, uh, trying new things, when you're able, you have money to spend, you have, you have room to fail, you'll learn things quicker and faster and better than, and, and solve problems. Mm. You know, and there's so many examples, you know, one great organization I, I, I look up to is called Charity Water. You know, there's a huge success story, very famous, and, you know, just, you know, and there, uh, Scott Harrison has a great right. book. Uh, you know, it, it, 
that's kind of a really example of a good modern nonprofit built for this age. Um, there's so the intersection is that it doesn't exist. Mm. Uh, there are very few nonprofits who have the room, the capacity, the willingness to try and fail. Mm. Um, they they kind of stay in their comfort zone. So uh, social so companies that are focused on social impact, like LaunchGood, you know, their whole mission is to connect you know donors to the nonprofit world and 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 people who have money to 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 get it to those who need it. You know, it, it, it's a very creative thing, right? You mm. build, you, it's a technology company, but it's focused on the same thing almost nonprofits are. So instead of saying, I want to raise money and solve this problem, it's like, hey, how do I bring more money into the whole industry? Mm. You go from this level to that level. So nonprofits are kind of operating here on the micro scale. And, you know, the yeah, I, I launch good and other technology companies are thinking globally and acting globally and have the, you know, willingness to do it they're thinking on a macro like how do i bring the whole industry up mm. you don't you know uh so th that's what really attracted me and there's so much more i could speak to it but uh you know at times limited but you know there's no appetite to fail there's no appetite like you fail you 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 know you are a failure you know you have to answer to donors why you spend the money there's always this thing of hey you could have spent this money helping someone if you didn't do this but my always was look i could you know the same analogy that you know teach a man to, you know, give a man a fish today or teach him how to fish. Teaching how to fish takes a lot more money, time and patience. <laughs> and most donors don't like that. Mm. Well, I think, I think that's a good place to end, uh, Ghulam. I know time is limited today and we hope to have you on again in the future so we can go into more details. Absolutely. Thank you for your time and hope you nothing but the best in the future. Thank you, my pleasure.